lots of lousy businesses. And there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job over the years has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio. From the AM640 studios in Toronto. With Hi-Fi portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Good morning, Toronto, and welcome to Hi-Fi Radio. Everything you ever want to know about money and music, perhaps, and so much more. we got a jam-packed show lined up for you, and of course, Jack Hartle is in the studio to help me along with the show. Uh, we are going to kick it off, of course, with the Morning Navigator author, Tony Greer. Uh, we are going to call London and speak to a very dynamic strategist over there. We are going to be covering off everything you need to know about Apple. If you're long the stock, short the stock, interested in the product, I got the guy for you. Followed by a discussion on gold. Gold versus Bitcoin, perhaps, will be discussed as well later in the show. And if you ever thought about getting divorced, are divorced, or going through a divorce, we have an expert divorce lawyer just to discuss how to strategize your divorce and you know, something that is the biggest, biggest enemy to a financial plan. So I wish it upon none of you. But hey, if it doesn't work out, you go down the road, you want to do it properly. And uh, we're going to end the show, of course, with uh, a good friend of mine who I work with at Dominion Securities and in the green rooms of BNN and CP24, uh, John Johnston, strategist at Davis Ray. So without further ado, to New York City with my man, Tony Greer. Welcome to the show, Tony. Thanks for having me, Wolfgang. How are you? I am outstanding, my man. Now, Tony is a dynamic New Yorker. Uh, I had the privilege of meeting him a few years ago uh, after reading his newsletter that was given to me through my trading desk. Called him up and uh, quickly became good friends with Tony. He said, come to New York, you come and see me and I'll take care of you. And he did. Bought me a fine lunch and uh, had his headphones on, was all into the music scene and uh, and uh, the Wall Street scene and everything else you could possibly imagine. Worked on the floor of the exchange for a while. Worked for that wonderful firm that we all love, Goldman Sachs. Uh, did you end up getting a Ferrari working there? <laughs> No, I was in the Ferrari class. I was in the uh, SUV class back then. <laughs> well, you're a family man, right? That's what it is. But it was probably, you know, exactly. uh, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a souped-up SUV, I'm sure. It does have it does have uh, custom wheels on it for sure. Nice, nice. So, look, uh, t- Tony, you, you got a great piece that you write, the uh, the Morning Navigator. You've gone on your own uh, to do it yourself, and uh, we're very proud of you here. But uh, let's kick it off. You mentioned um, uh, off air that uh, the war between Bitcoin and gold is currently taking place. And I like that because I actually have a, a gold portfolio manager, Kevin McLean, coming on later in the show. So I'm curious to see what your take is on this Bitcoin versus gold. Yeah, Wolfgang, I'm still trying to figure out Bitcoin, to be totally honest with you. It's, um, you know, it, it's getting uh, more and more press. It's, uh, governments around the world are opening up to it. And I'm pretty well in shock that it is trading over gold just from a pure price perspective. Uh, so quickly, you know, it's been behaving unbelievably on a technical basis. Um, there are some fundamental reasons for it to rally. People are trying to get money out of China, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And there, that's where most of the Bitcoin trading takes place, obviously. And uh, it's getting a lot of attention. And while these central banks are blowing each other's brains out or weakening their currencies, uh, Bitcoin is getting much more interest than I would have expected if you had asked me six months ago. So that's why, um, you know, up here at the highs, my interest is renewed because you never know it could have another up 120% year like it did last year. Isn't that interesting? Because, uh, you know, our, our real estate market here in Toronto is being bid up by money leaving China. 
right. so it, it really is a similar situation. Now, Fed balance sheets uh, around the yeah. world, Tony, you, you watch this stuff. Uh, what are we yeah. talking? Are we talking 10 or $12 trillion now of global Fed balance sheet uh, uh, debt being taken on? Uh, yeah, well, put it this way. I don't think at this point, I, the number is pretty much irrelevant, right? Like at the, our, we're growing our balance. We're, we did three rounds of QE and then Operation Twist where we grew our balance sheet. Um, we know the ECB is growing their balance sheet. We know the Bank of Japan is bro- growing their balance sheet. So right. it's all in an attempt to keep rates low and currency weak, I think. Mm-hmm. So, so, Tony, you're getting back to Bitcoin there, uh, being a technical trader that you are. Um, are you able to track volume with Bitcoin? Is that something that you follow and uh, you're able to follow, I guess, fund flows? Uh, yeah, I'm just, you know, I, I'm more interested in the price, you know, the fund flow. I'm more interested in the price than the headlines. You know, I mean, everything that I read about lately coming across my radar screen is about blockchain. You know, you're watching the technology market take off. You know, you see Bitcoin making, you know, really, really aggressive moves. Um, you know, they're trying to be the Winklevoss CEO failed. I uh, see the Winklevoss ETF, excuse me, failed. Uh, a couple of months ago, and Bitcoin fell pretty hard after that, but it came roaring back. So that that's the kind of thing that gets my attention. Um, and you know, I want I just want to make sure that I'm not missing out if it has another big year and starts to get a lot a lot of interest as it gets opened up to global governments. Now, now, Tony, we're 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 getting a little tight in time here, my main man. But I got to ask you, being a New Yorker, what is yeah. going on with President Trump? How you feel about him, and how is he or not affecting the market, in your opinion? Oh, he sure is affecting the market. You know, I think uh, he's a major focal point of the market. Both his policies and his personality are getting, um, you know, they get a lot of traction. You know, he, his tweets are affecting individual stocks and sectors. Uh, his policies are obviously going to affect the entire market. They're going to affect the rates market, the macro markets. So, you know, I think more important than what we think of the guy, I think it's more important that we learn to navigate in his world. Um, you know, the market is going to have a little bit of a different personality with Donald Trump in office uh, over Barack Obama in office, just with the direction that he's trying to take the country. And so, you know, is he doing a good job? It's really a little too early to say. I would have appreciated if he gotten more done um up to his first 100 days than he More did. done. Right, has so he what what done? has he done in the first 100 days other than make a lot of noise and tweet a lot? Yeah, that's my point. Right? So <laughs> yeah. it, would have been great if, if it would have been great if he would have put a great repeal and replace act in front of everybody that was like, wow, that was impressive. We, I want, we want him up here in Canada to lower taxes because if he lowers taxes, hopefully our government gets the message and, be, and begins to reverse its trajectory uh, of, of taxes because it's insane in this country, my friend. It's insane. But, Tony, look, yeah. i got to let you go here, my main man. I'm going to get you back on the That's show. Okay. Uh, but uh, Tony Greer, the morning navigator, fantastic author. Coming up next, we are going to go from New York to London. Stay tuned. Orchestrated by... For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM 640. Live from London is Robert Jukes on Hi-Fi Radio AM 640. Robert, it is so nice to have you join us on this beautiful day here in Toronto. Thank you very much. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for asking me. Robert Jukes is, of course, our global strategist at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Uh, so we just want to check in with him this fine day to find out what is taking place across the pond. Of course, you've digested or are digesting Brexit. Uh, Frexit uh, is on the table, Robert. Uh, 
fill us in. What's going on? What do we need to know about the political and business landscape in Europe? Well, uh, Brexit is, um, I think, pretty well understood now that uh, that actually happened last year, and uh, we're, we're sort of uh, negotiating the finer points, or rather, the government's negotiating the finer points, having triggered Article Fifty um, with the uh, with the Europeans. And uh, how about it, it how about Robert? Like, how about the snap uh, election? A, yeah, it looks like we're going to get a um, a softer Brexit as a result of that snap election, and. Um, I think the, the important thing there is is that Theresa May, the Prime Minister, has got a majority, a working majority of about 17 in the, uh, in the House of Commons. And that means that she's, uh, she's pretty much at the mercy of the, um, of the fringe of her party. And the, the right-wing fringe of her party is probably the most Eurosceptic bunch of MPs that uh, ever existed. So calling a snap election, uh, and if the, the opinion polls are to be believed, she could extend that majority from 17 to over 100. Hmm. So that uh, politically is a very astute move for her to do that anyway. But in terms of negotiating Brexit, I think it allows us to interpret that in a slightly different lens. And that is one which is perhaps more European focused and a softer Brexit. If that's what we end up with, it looks like that's perhaps the, um, the, the end game here. A softer Brexit would mean continued access to the single market uh, for, uh, for for us here in the UK, and that that's important because it means that business doesn't have to stop as uh, as we come out of the out of the European Union. Now, one of the one of the quid pro quos, one of the, the things that we sort of set against that will probably be free movement of people and capital, uh, and that's really what the um, the right wing um, don't don't like about the European Union. But they're probably now going to have to suck that up if she's able to command this much larger majority of as a, as a result of that snap election mm-hmm. let's take it back well, to the market for right sorry robert let's that's take it back to the seen this action in the market right but go on sorry no no don't be um let's take it back to the market now because a lot of political uh, uncertainty this year in europe uh, uh, country to country there seems to be something taking place that's quite significant and uh, of course the the french situation we're going to know more about that i think this is the second week of may may 7th is the election correct but the the stock market uh, it's, it's telling us something different. Uh, of course, coming out of the snap election, we had a big international rally in the marketplace. Uh, I am seeing here in Canada so much renewed interest in Europe, which has basically been uh, uh, purgatory for 15 years. Um, so fund flows are paying attention and, and, and telling us that the, the outcome is going to perhaps be better than what we are currently feeling. Am I correct in that statement? I think you are, and I think uh, there, there have been um, there's been a, an unusually large um, political uh, risk aversion or political discount to European stocks as a result of uh, Brexit, Frexit, and um, all the various shenanigans going on in Europe. <laughs> uh, Greece, you know, the long distant memory now, but the markets are also beginning to worry about Italy a little bit. The European institutions aren't really what they could be in terms of sorting out um, problems. So yes, there's been a big valuation discount applied to European stocks. And I think one thing that is changing there is that as, as we get more clarity um, about Brexit and this, this idea of a softer Brexit, we were discussing that earlier on, and now looking to Frexit, there were at least two candidates a week ago standing for, um, for president uh, that were, would want to take France out of the, the euro. 
So Le Pen is still there. She still has that stated aim of taking France out of the Europe. She gets in. She seems to be distancing herself from that somewhat. as She's looking, she's looking for a wide repeal at the second round. But last week, there was Mélenchon as well, who wanted to reform the, uh, the euro to death. And his backup plan was to, uh, to come out if, uh, if he couldn't achieve these, um, these reforms. So I think so rolling on in, into the second round, some of those risks have, have, have dissipated. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, uh, I want to get a quick, Jack's got a quick one for you, Juice, because we're, we're running out of time here. Yeah, just with, uh, I guess, all the, the good news coming out of Europe, uh, what do you see for the, the EU or the, uh, the euro and also, I guess, the, the pound? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the, uh, the, the, the news for the currencies is, is relatively good. I think um, if you look at sterling, pre-credit crunch, so 2007, it was about $2 to the pound. It's mm-hmm. now tra- traveling around about one twenty-nine. It's got to be a buy. A, it a has Phillips to be a buy. Since, um, I'm sorry? It has to be a buy. It has to be a buy. Yeah. I agree. And I think it could settle in around that range of around about one fifty. Mm-hmm. So UK stocks look like an asset play, if nothing else. And then if you look at uh, Europe and the discounts that have been applied there, you've got a similar... I think direction of travel for the for the euro. So, in terms of those North American fund flows, yes, they're looking at Europe, pan European stocks, and they're looking at a number of brand names that are just deeply discounted. You know, BMW, Mercedes, Louis Vuitton. I mean, all of these. I think there's about um, great brands. Every one of them, uh, amazing brands. Yeah, 35 European brands are, are in the in the global top 100. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a great buying opportunity if you're at all optimistic about uh, about the currencies as well. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. we are. No, I, I think you could. I think we can make money two ways here in Europe. Better valuations on the equity and currency bump as a Canadian as well. So uh, I'm going to recommend. I'm going to begin recommending clients taking positions in that direction and doing it in an unhedged currency fashion. But Robert, we have to go. You've been absolutely great, Robert Dukes, uh, Global Strategist, Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Uh, if you are interested in Apple, who doesn't have interest in Apple? You want to stay tuned for this next hit. Mike Walkley, back to New York City. Sorry, Boston. Yes, we're, we're taking you around the world today. We're going to take you to Boston to talk to Mike about Apple right after this. Money. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. Money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM 640. Welcome back to the show, Hi-Fi Radio. On the line is Mike Walkley, Senior Analyst, Canaccord Genuity. He covers Apple, hence the intro with a little Beatle music, because, of course, the Beatles were the last man to hold out to get on the uh, ecosystem of uh, iTunes and, uh, well, uh, the world changed. Uh, so welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks, Wolfgang. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So uh, lots going on in the world of Apple, and I know there's some litigation going on with Qualcomm, uh, but we're going to let the lawyers scrap that one out. That, that I want to I I get product-friendly here right now because, you know, it's just such a powerful product, and with the 10th anniversary coming up, what, is that in September, Mike? Yeah, September will be the 10th anniversary of the initial iPhone launch, so it's amazing how Apple just launched with AT&T, and now they have the most profitable uh, smartphone franchise in the world. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, well, what kind of margins are we talking about here with, the, with their smartphone? 
Yeah, one thing that we've done that's just kind of fascinating is we track industry profits for all the leading iPhone players in the world. I mean, all the leading smartphone companies in the world. And we think Apple captures you know over 90% of industry profits for the massive smartphone market today. Um, for Apple and their margins, they don't break it out by product, but we think they make uh, upwards of well over 40% gross margin um, per iPhone, and then very strong operating margin and profits. And how many of those how many of those iPhones are you uh, expecting them to sell in uh, per year? I guess. Yeah, on the, on the iPhone, we think for the 10-year anniversary, they're going to have a very strong upgrade cycle within the installed base. Uh, consumers really seem to flock some for the status symbol just for some of the new features. But when you get a new form factor iPhone, it tends to drive better sales. So we think they're going to sell a quarter of a billion or 250 million of the new iPhones in calendar 2018. Unbelievable wow. number, yeah. Let's talk about the ecosystem because you know, that's why we had that music at the intro because the, the, the ecosystem of Apple is just, first of all, I think it's understated, and we, you and I talked briefly about that off-air, but uh, how, how big is this web and the potential for the ecosystem of Apple to become such a profitable force for the company? Yeah, so if you look at the iPhone, it's really the heart of Apple's ecosystem. We believe you know, they have now over 600 million people around the world who have um, a new high-end iPhone that doesn't even count the huge resale market. So that's really the, the core installed base. And within that base, that's where they sell other hardware products with the halo effect, such as MacBooks or iPads or Apple Watches. So that helps too. But to the whole services ecosystem, that's where Apple's driving new business. And they, they shared recently on earnings call, they expect to double their services revenue over the next four years. And this is a you know quite profitable business. This is a standalone company. It would be very valuable on its own. And in fiscal 16, they did a roughly $25 billion wow. in services revenue. That includes, you know, iTunes, Apple Pay, you know, any, any of their services that really come with that um, in terms of your subscription, you know, iCloud, if you pay for storage, all those different layers they, they layer onto their uh, ecosystem. Wall Street Journal, Apple hires rocket scientists as it tries to catch up in driverless cars. Uh are they serious about getting the driverless car business, and does it make sense for them to be in this uh, aspect of business? If you look at Apple, I mean, the most valuable company in the stock market today, all-time record market caps, you know, they already, as we talked about, dominate 90% share of the industry, and they grew the actual profit pool when they entered the smartphone market. So we are already number one in the largest consumer electronics market in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly, to continue to grow, you look to new areas. So... Um, what areas does it make sense for Apple to go into? And certainly with cars basically becoming computers in the future with autonomous driving, um, it makes sense for Apple to go there. You know, some, some investors I speak with argue they already have a, a, a future car business. It's called Tesla. Yeah, that's one of the <laughs> speculations that they just buy Tesla that's down the fad. road because it's a, nice, it's a nice fit to kind of you know, high-end style and, and where Apple might go with their product, but they might just develop it on their own also. Um, we do believe they've hired team and been working on this for for many years. But you know, for Apple, they're so secretive. Many years of work still might mean several more years to even launched you know an Apple car if we ever see one. But clearly, they're doing a lot of work in this area. Wow. You mentioned the size of Apple. There, uh, they are the largest, I guess, by market cap in the world. They also have 230 billion of cash trapped overseas. Uh, what do you see them doing with that money to get it productive? Yeah, so you know, part of it is waiting to see what happens with uh, can you bring tax, can you bring the 
offshore cash back home because of I think it's 236 billion from memory and 230 billion of that is trapped offshore. So there's tax consequences they bring it home. Trump's so going to solve that. He, he, Trump will take care of that for you. He gets everything done. Yeah, so, he gets everything done. So assuming there's this tax reform and you can you know repatriate cash, that might be opens up more options. Even without that, you know Apple can clearly raise debt in the U.S. Um, to, to buy somebody here. So speculations with all that cash that they do, you know, ongoing, very strong capital returns to shareholders increase the buyback and the dividend. Um, when they report their next quarter, that's usually the time they update cash returns. So there's a market expectation they're already going to do that, increase the dividend and or buyback. So more cash coming back to their shareholder base. But, you know, on top of that, to augment services, there's speculation that Apple needs content. Uh, maybe you know, they're already working on a little bit of content like Amazon does with their own shows. Um, so there's, they could do that, but probably to jumpstart it, do they buy somebody, a content provider? Um, and then, you know, the Tesla example I gave you. So those are some of the debates in the market with that war chest of cash. Who does Apple buy to really take their company to a, a new level of um, services in the whole ecosystem? That's, that's speculation. Now, that you, now you are an analyst, buy. Mike, and the company's reporting results next week. So uh, you have your estimates uh, uh, laid out for us, but uh, long and the short, most valuable company now in the world. Is there room for the company to go higher? Yeah, we believe there is. Our, our price target's higher than the stock today, and it's really just based on this new iPhone product cycle. So what we didn't cover is um, we think there's still 250 million of these phones, you know, all-time all high for Apple, up over, you know, the 230 they did when the iPhone 6 came out. But on top of that, because it would be OLED screens, uh, bigger bigger screen size for the consumer, new form factor, they're going to be more expensive phones. So we don't think Apple's going to not only sell absolute more units, but a lot higher profit per device, and that's going to drive record earnings, and we think that takes the, the shares even higher. So that's why we're maintaining our buy rating. We have a $165 price target on Apple. And that's U.S. dollars, my good friend. Hi-Fi Radio, Mike Walkley joined us, analyst, Canaccord Genuity, wealth management, covering the Apple stock and so many other tech stocks. Real pleasure to have you with us today, Mike. Thank you very, very kindly. We're going from Apple to gold, my good friends. Coming up next, Kevin McLean, Century Select, Precious Metals portfolio manager. It's going to be a pleasure to speak with him. Stay tuned. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM640. Welcome back to the show. On the line with us is Kevin McLean, Senior Portfolio Manager Century Precious Metal Fund. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks, Wolfgang. I love gold. And Kevin does love gold. Yes, indeed. Uh, you know, Kevin, you've been in the business for a few decades, uh, shall I say. What was the price of gold when you began in this business? Do you recall? Yeah, I started in May of 1979, and the price of gold was around $600 on its way to 850 uh, several months later. And it is now trading around what twelve eighty an ounce. It's about about twelve sixty eight today. So it's doubled in your career of thirty eight years. Thirty eight years, with a lot of volatility in between. Was there a little little vol in there as well? Yes, there was. <laughs> so so after we hit eight fifty, we went to two eighty five, and then we went back up to nineteen hundred and twenty three, back down to ten forty six, and here we are today at twelve sixty eight. So, so, so what were the costs to produce gold back in nineteen seventy nine? Do you remember? Oh, geez. Um, 
I won't go that far back, but I'll go back. I'll go back. I'll go back. How about 18 years? I remember 1999 very clearly because gold was making a bottom at around 250. And I remember the low cost producer at that time was Barrick Gold, producing gold for $135 an ounce. Hmm. And, and the cost to produce an ounce today, marginal cost? Yeah, for most of the uh, the big players right now, they're all in cost to both produce gold and sustain their operations. Is probably about nine hundred dollars. So they they are profitable at twelve eighty an ounce. They are profitable. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And uh, tell me something. The current landscape. Uh, can you make money trading gold equities in this current environment? You can always make money trading gold equities. You make the most money when you invest in companies that have a an active drilling program that's pulling out uh, decent results from the ground, mm. more high grade discoveries. Hmm. Uh, so long term investors. Again, the theory was have five percent gold in your portfolio for yeah. various reasons. Uh, I think that sort of got pushed by the wayside when tech was all the rage, mm-hmm. and then tech blew up, and we had a commodity bull market, and you became famous. Uh, John Embry <laughs> came. John Embry became famous. You became my friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be that could be the kiss of death becoming my friend. I, I forewarn <laughs> you now on that front. Um, <laughs> but. Um, we're, we're, we we sort of seem to be like in this in between period right now. Uh, not a lot of bulls, not a lot of bears. The owners are owners. Like, I think you're an owner of these mm-hmm. equities as an, a true investor. The speculators right. don't seem to be there. So where are we in the cycle? Well, if you just look at the cost of production now, when I gave you the operating costs, that doesn't include, of course, the cost to actually build a mine, which can be a few hundred dollars per ounce as well. So if you look at the industry now, those who produce gold. Uh, are steadily declining in reserves year by year. We just had the fifth year in a row of declining reserves. We're down by about 35% in the last five years, which means that the industry cannot sustain their production with gold in and around current price levels. So the gold price has to go up for no other reason than the fact that the industry cannot keep producing it in the quantities that they have been uh, with gold at this price level. And most um, analysts who look at the gold sector looking ahead the next seven years will say that gold production is going to decline for several years, starting about now. So, so, so where does all this gold go, I guess, Kevin? Who, who uses it? What do we use it for? Yeah, about 60% goes into fabrication demand. Uh, 50% of demand is jewelry. 10% is electronics and, and other applications. And the biggest component other than that is investment. And if you roll the clock back sort of 25, 30 years, 90% of gold demand was jewelry. Because back in the 80s, when interest rates were high single-digit or even double-digit, yeah. gold could not compete, no of course. Interest, yeah. So people bought it for jewelry. Now we have a situation where uh, interest rates are next to nothing, and gold offers nothing as well, but gold has the unique quality of not having any default risk. It reprices itself daily in debasing currencies or protects you if a government uh, abuses the currency, which many governments are doing around the world today. So the outlook for gold is actually much more favorable now than it was, say, 20 or 30 years ago. Based you know, on we, had a, monetary. we had a, ca- a caller on uh, from New York, and what, what caught his attention in the marketplace right now was this push-pull between Bitcoin and gold. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are, are you watching Bitcoin? Uh, I don't watch it. The volatility is extremely high. I think it requires a certain level of sophistication and the ability to diversify your portfolio into something like that to to get involved in that particular asset. Um, There's governments out there that are trying to clamp down on the Bitcoin trade. So it's not a market that you can sort of go into um, naively. You've got to be doing your homework and, you know, taking the risk that governments might not actually like this Bitcoin. So I, I stay away from it. So I guess it's just an alternative asset class, just like uh, gold is, and with these central banks 
printing it, money. Uh, it, it's, it's another hard currency or hard uh, asset class. Is that correct? Yeah, I, 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 it's certainly a currency of sorts, but I don't know how hard it is. I right. mean, just to understand Digital. how Bitcoins are created and valued is a, a PhD exercise. It's not easy. It, no, it's not. It, it it certainly is created by an algorithm. You know, Warren Buffett's made some 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 very cute comments towards the gold industry, the gold. <laughs> and, and you, you yeah. know, I'm, you know what I'm referring to. Yes, I do. Uh, yeah, uh, but but the, the gold industry continues to remind us that gold is biblical, and and so it, again, it it really is a push and a pull. Uh, and you know, some where this thing plays out is anyone's guess. You started in 1979, Kevin, 600 bucks an ounce. It's now 1280 an ounce, and that's not currency adjusted or inflation adjusted uh, as well. I don't know how that would play out uh, on those bases, but the, the, the inflation head seeing as well seems to come and go. Uh, yeah. And right now you're almost in a deflationary environment. I'm even hearing gold people saying, well, gold does well in deflation. Uh, I said, wait a minute, you told me 10, 10 years ago it did well in inflation. Does it work both ways? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but look, I, I will say one thing, Kevin, uh, to, to, to Canadians, if you're going to invest in the gold industry, similar to the energy industry, you know, you can probably pick a bank stock for yourself or a pipeline, but when it comes to certain type of equities, I personally would prefer to give the money toward towards an expert like uh, Kevin McLean. Although I am not long gold, I see Kevin on the street. We talk about it one day. I'll give him some money to invest, but uh, it could be the kiss of death for his career as well. I, I always warn about that. Kevin McLean, ladies and gentlemen, Century Precious Metal Fund Senior Portfolio Manager. An absolute pleasure. Thank you for having us. You bet. And if you bought some gold for a wedding ring. And it didn't go your way. And I don't mean the ring. I mean the wedding. A few years later, and you're looking to get divorced, we got the man for you. Michael Cochran is going to join us to discuss strategies behind getting divorced right after this. I want money. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. That's what I want. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. That's what I want. Welcome back to Hi-Fi Radio. If you have any questions about today's show or financial questions you need answered, go to WolfgangKlein.com. And now, back to the show. Here's Wolfgang and Jack. Well, good morning to you, and I hope you're waking up with a big smile on your face. And perhaps if there isn't a smile, you want to pay attention to our next guest, Michael Cochran, a a expert in divorce law, as he is a divorce lawyer. Michael, thank you, and welcome to the show, Hi-Fi Radio. Thank you. I'll, I'll try to take smiles off anybody's face talking about divorce. <laughs> <laughs> well, we like to put smiles on people's face. We, yeah. we, we, there's got to be a, a silver lining, some humor in, in all of this, and trust me, I'm going to find the humor for you, pal. But um, <laughs> let's talk about this. If, I, I wake up one day, I don't have a smile on my face. I think of getting divorced. What do I do? Do I roll over and say to my wife, honey, I want a divorce? Is that, is that what I should do? You absolutely do not do that. The first thing you do is you find yourself an experienced family law lawyer, and you go in and you get an opinion uh, that uh, basically asks that lawyer, if I separated tomorrow, what would happen? And uh, that lawyer, if he or she is good, will write on the whiteboard or blackboard you know, the uh, issues that your particular uh, divorce would raise, you know, property division, spousal support, child support, custody, things like that, and you get a strategic opinion from that lawyer. What would happen if I separated tomorrow? And then you can go forward based on what you've learned from that uh, meeting. And it may be that you should put your money into marriage counseling instead of a divorce. Do most people tell their significant other that they want to separate prior to speak, uh, speaking to a professional like yourself? 
Yeah, I would say, you know, it's a bit of a cliché uh, and uh, maybe a bitter, bitter cliché about uh, the way people uh, separate and divorce is that uh, they don't take the bull by the horns and have mature conversations about it. They tend to do things to sabotage their marriage. You know, so when, when people have affairs, for example, uh, and they get caught having an affair, 95% of the time those people want to get caught. They do things they leave their cell phone on the table with text messages on it. They, uh, they are, are caught, you know, sneaking away with a second cell phone. They're caught sneaking around uh, somewhere visiting they, with somebody. You think they want to get caught? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a cowardly way of breaking a marriage. Get caught in an affair. And you'd be surprised. It sounds expensive. It is expensive because, well, not not necessarily because the fact of the affair is going to have any impact on the outcome of the substantive issues. You know? and, and, and it doesn't, does it? It doesn't. No, in no. Canada, nobody cares. That's why that's why it's no fault now. Nobody cares about who had an affair when you're setting spousal support. Nobody cares about an affair when you're dividing property. Nobody cares about an affair when you're trying to decide custody of your children. Is it really? Is it really? So, it really is black and white, isn't it? They're, they're it's just very tab- black and white. Mm-hmm. And property division, for example example, and this is why it's great to get the strategic opinion, is that property division is quite mathematical. You tell me how much you brought into the marriage. You tell me how much you uh, own at the date of separation. You tell me what your debts and liabilities are as of date of separation. And if you know the same uh, information for your spouse, I can figure out in less than 45 minutes who's going to pay who uh, in a property settlement. So, you know, it's mathematical. Nobody cares about, you know, whether the reason you're having the conversation is because somebody had an affair. Mm-hmm. Another question, I guess, uh, Michael, is looking at cohabitation agreements. So people that have already been divorced once, they get into another relationship, they're in common law relationship. Uh, what do they have, uh, I guess, what kind of legal contracts can they have in place for cohabitation agreements? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question because, you know, for people who are getting married or who are married, we have marriage contracts or, you know, if it's before you get married, we call it prenup. And for people who are going into common law relationships, it's a cohabitation agreement. And people who are leaving a the first marriage and going into that common law relationship, in many cases, they need a cohabitation agreement more than anybody else mm-hmm. because... Common law couples, and this is, you know, a very important point, uh, common law couples in Ontario do not have the same property rights that legally married couples have. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people think, oh, once you're common law, you know, if I live together for a year or two years or three years and we split up, we're going to divide our property 50-50. Not true. People who live common law have to go back and reconstruct who paid for what and who loaned money for this, and you bought the car, but I yeah, paid for it. Sounds pretty money. messy. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. It's hey, really Michael, Michael in, the, in the interest of time, you know, I, want you, I want you to put a smile on our listener's face, okay? So yep. I want you to think now in terms of a marriage contract. Yep. G- give me some of the most outrageous requests for inclusion in a marriage contract. Well, I think the one that we hear the most is people trying to, to dictate or control sexual activities. Really? Uh, yeah. In particular, you know, people who say, <laughs> I want to have certain consequences if you're caught having an affair. I want to be able to, to Lash punish you, you, punish you with, a, you know, with no spousal <laughs> support, or I want to punish you with, you're not going to get the right share of property ah, to do that. Or, or trying to dictate, you know, what kind of activities they're, they're going to be engaged in, or, or, you know, whether it's an open marriage. Mm. Certainly have, have that race with people. Can, can we, key parties and stuff like that. 
Uh, well, what about kinky parties? <laughs> no, key, key parties, key parties, yeah. Mike, Michael, oh. <laughs> you, you've been absolutely great. Um, friends, if you're thinking of getting divorced, don't discuss it with your partner. Discuss it with a professional first just to make sure it is the right path for you. That was Michael Cochran, a divorce lawyer. Real pleasure to have you on the show. We're going to round the show up with good friend of mine, John Johnston of Davis Ray, a strategist extraordinaire. You're going to want to pay attention to what John's got to say right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money. Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM640. Welcome back to the show. Is that the Grateful Dead? Uh, The year I was born, they were created. Now this man... I think it was 400 concerts that this man went to see the Grateful Dead. No, no. No? No, no. 40 concerts? Yeah, I wasn't one to tour with them. I I've seen about I've seen a lot of concerts over the years since 1973. Uh but I wasn't a tour head like many were. How many times do you see the Grateful Dead? I don't know, including the spin-offs. I don't know, probably 40 maybe. 40, right. 30, 40. Only. 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 But it <laughs> it's My my favorite band was The Who. I love And the and Who. I saw every one of their final concerts and I think I saw Two of them? 40, 40, 40, 40, 40 times. I don't know. Like, no one does that anymore. And that's why you're on the show, because it's hi-fi radio. Yeah. Uh, and, and you understand high fidelity real well. Uh, um, anyways, John Johnson, Davis Ray, I, I've known this gentleman for 15 years. I used to hang out with him in the green rooms at uh, the BNN studios and the CP24 studios. And prior to that, of course, he was the strategist uh, at one of those big wonderful banks that we all love and that's where him and i first met so thank you very much for joining us on the show john my pleasure good to be here yeah so uh we had a couple other strategists on the show so far and you're our domestic guy uh global growth uh starting to peak is it starting to roll over is the global economy starting to trend lower sideways which way is she going do you think john i i think global growth is cresting so the growth rate has been going up now for about a year, but I think it's going to level off, which means the global economy is going to continue to expand at a decent clip. I'm certainly I'm more of a glasses half full person rather than uh, uh, well half empty, sir, rather than half full. Right, uh, they're, they're, I, I think grateful we, dead half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that uh, you know we had a, a you know a long two year slowdown, and we saw that manifested in commodity prices. It bottomed about a, you know a year or so ago. Uh, and now we've seen the global economy accelerating, and I think we're going to grow at a little more steady pace, maybe not quite as, as rapidly as the IMF is thinking. I think it's maybe getting a little closer to 3 than 3.5%. There's still a lot of things holding us back, like the overhang of private sector debt, um, but not, it's not bad. You know, I think we're in an environment where the global economy is going to do okay. It's broadly based. Most countries are expanding. Uh, you know, some of the risks that we were worried about uh, in emerging markets seem to be stable for now. They're I would still- talk to you about that. because Right here, right now, uh, JJ, um, emerging markets are getting a lot of attention, as is Europe. And I think some of it at the expense, and Jack's been, been all over this with me, uh, at the expense of Canada. Canada seems to be losing some of its luster. Not that it had a whole lot, but last year it was the strongest performing market, and this year it once again is lagging. Um, so as a Canadian investor, new money right here and right now, someone throws a million bucks at you, how would you place that in terms of asset category, asset class, and, and, and if you want to get to sub- Geographies, correct. Well, we tend to be negative on Canada over the longer <clears throat> run. 
Uh, our view is is that Canada had its day during the secular bull market in commodities that peaked. It's crested now. Uh, you know, there's, the economy is overburdened with household debt, too much real estate, too much debt. So our feeling is is that there's opportunities elsewhere, and we like things that are more of a play on the global economy, global multinationals. Like what? Like so? Uh, give us an example. You know, the areas that we really like. I look around right now, and I like the themes of global demographics. Uh, so I you think, like, sorry, you like global demographics? Well, I, that's a theme that I like. So I like healthcare. Big aging, po- aging population, right? Healthcare, uh, and um, see, we like millennials at, at, at Canaccord. We're very, very much focused on the millennial scene right now. Uh, household formations, those turning thirty. Uh, so we think that's going to work. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, I look at Canada. You don't want to pay attention to Canada. We've got too much debt in the U.S. Like the. The home builders, household formation is picking up in the U.S. 16 to 24 and 25 to 34, is, uh, their, their employment is growing really rapidly. You had a bust in housing, so now you're going to come out of that. There's a willingness to borrow it for mortgages, and we're seeing that happen. So uh, I, you know, I think that you know, we're overweighting the U.S. Uh, and some other global multinationals, partly because we like technology. Uh, we the like big tech, technology yeah. names. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like the big healthcare names, uh, particularly in uh, equipment and uh, biotech. Do you like the Trump trade? I don't know. I don't know that I believe in the Trump trade for a couple reasons. One is that the U.S. was not the leading market since the election. Mm-hmm. Uh, Europe and Japan outperformed, so I think it's that was more of a global but play. As I say, Trump uh, hasn't delivered on anything he's actually said he's going to do. So if he comes across, delivers maybe on some reform policy, tax cuts. Would the Trump trade kick back into gear? Would you see that? Uh, it may. I think things. You know, I think investors are discounting a lot of good news out of the U.S. They're discounting a lot of good news out of the U.S. dollar. Here's a guy with uh, who doesn't respect the law, the legal system, uh, hasn't put people in place to enact his policies. He has control of the complete control of the Congress. Can't get anything passed. So I think there may be a bit of disappointment there. I like a lot of big U.S. companies. Uh, I'm not uh, so sure that it's going to be the big outperformer that everybody says it is. And I think one of the big surprises this year may be the U.S. dollar. Uh, stumbles. What do you, what is the, just on a final note, what do you think those marijuana stocks are that are trading on Bay Street? I don't pay much attention to it. Fair enough, yeah. yeah this is John Johnston Davis Ray, <laughs> Chief Investment Strategist. Uh, John, the interview was short, but we're going to have you back on air because you're a good okay. friend of mine and I, I always enjoy hanging out with you. So I want to thank you very much for listening to the show. Hi-Fi Radio, Jack Hartle, of course, my wingman, always doing a great job. Luke, our producer, and my own Sherpa in broadcasting, Jamie Watson. Thank you for being in the house. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. For the podcast of today's show, go to 640Toronto.com. New shows every week. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.